Welcome along to a very cold and very snow-laden episode of the Football Funders podcast. I'm riding solo tonight and we are going to be talking World Cup quarterfinals. England are sadly home now. After being sent packing by the French, the usual hypocrisy has now started with people now calling for Gareth Southgate's head because we didn't get past the quarterfinal stage merely weeks after stating that he should be in the job because he'd taken us to semi-finals and finals. So the hypocrisy that is football has begun. And we'll get into Gareth Southgate in a little bit. But we'll start off by talking about the game against France and England. And I think that England can hold their heads up high. I'm going to talk more, as I said, about Gareth Southgate and how Gareth Southgate's done throughout this tournament in a little bit. But I think England should be very proud of their performance against France. I think this is the first time that we've come up against anyone of real quality and we've given as good as we've got. We were just as threatening, just as effective. Excuse me one second. Apologies. Had had it not been for Harry Kane simply missing a penalty, then I think this could have gone to extra time, could have gone to penalties, and who knows, we may still have gone out. We may have won. Unfortunately, when it's the fine margins, then that's what knockout football is all about. People are complaining, oh, we should be winning, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. It's knockout football at the end of the day. If you don't take your chances on the day, you're going out. It's as simple as that. Anything can happen. Look at Manchester United when they won against Bayern Munich in 1999. We were outplayed for the vast majority of that match. Absolutely outplayed, outclassed. And then in the final few minutes, we get two goals and we go home with a trophy. It's the, the the epitome of S-Housery, shall we say. Um, so it's knockout football at the end of the day. And in this case, Harry Kane missed a penalty that could have made it 2-2. And I, I don't understand why there is so much against England now. that they're, they're saying, oh, we're not, not good enough. We're not doing well enough. We went toe-to-toe with the current world champions, and I would argue future world champions. It was a missed penalty. We were just as, as I said, we were just as effective, just as threatening. I think the referee didn't have his best games. Uh, I wouldn't say he was awful, but there were a few decisions he got wrong. There was clearly another penalty I think England should have had early. I think it was in the first half. I think uh, the first goal for France shouldn't have stood because Saka was clearly fouled in the build-up and why he didn't give that, I don't know. But I think England did well. I think all the players can hold themselves up, their heads high. I think we gave as good as we got. I don't think we were outclassed by the world champions in any way. And I think anybody calling for Gareth Southgate's head is a little bit harsh. I think a lot of my gripes with Gareth Southgate, if we'll call them that, were the formation was wrong, playing three at the back. He didn't do that at this World Cup. I think he clearly learned you know, from the Nations League that three at the back wasn't working because we, we I think we 
I think we lost like I mean we got what I don't think we scored or won a game five five games in a row or something like that or four of the last five something like that the it wasn't good in the Nations League so I think Gareth Southgate should get credit because he realized that isn't working he played four at the back instead of the five that everybody was expecting and again credit to Gareth Southgate he did not change his tactics when he came up against a team that he could potentially fear. I think Gareth Southgate was very... Uh, I, th- I think his substitutions against France were a little bit off. I think Phil Foden struggled to get into that game. And I know Saka was getting kicked about the pitch a lot. They really were laying into him. But I think I, I would have brought Foden off because he was ineffective in this game for some reason. And I would have brought Rashford on instead. So if Saka was getting kicked to bits, then I understand him being taken off. I'm not quite sure I agree with bringing Sterling on. Sterling has done well for England down the years. There's no doubt about that. You can't argue his record. It's very, very good. But bearing in mind, he'd only just rejoined the squad after suffering a personal tragedy at home where his home was raided while his family was in his house, I believe. He clearly wasn't in the mental state or physical state. I'm sure he looks after himself very well, but he literally only rejoined the squad. So I, he wouldn't have been my my choice to replace Saka in that game. I probably would have brought on a Graylish or I'm sure there might have been another option. People have been questioning Mason Mount's uh, what's the right word? Effectiveness, I suppose, in this World Cup. He hasn't been as good as he has been recently, and he was obviously one of Gareth Southgate's favourite players. But Gareth Southgate, to his credit, realised in the opening game against Iran that the formation we were playing, while we could attack, was good. We still lacked a little bit of discipline in the centre of midfield because we conceded two late goals. So we dropped Mason Mount and brought in Jordan Henson. And we looked a lot more assured in midfield and we still got the required results. Some performances obviously weren't great. The first half against Wales and the USA particularly stand out. But Gareth Southgate, again, deserves credit. He noticed that and they made the change and the change was effective. People are saying how ridiculous Teo Hernandez's challenge on Mason Mount was. But again, if Mason Mount doesn't make that run, then Teo Fernandez does not make that foul and England do not get that penalty. Unfortunately for the penalty that Kane missed, I can see what Kane was trying to do. I think he very quickly realised that his Tottenham teammate Hugo Lloris in the France goal or the French goal even, would pick up off of his first penalty and go the same way. And I think Kane just was like, okay, I'm going to hit it in the same place, but I'm going to hit it harder to make sure that he can't get there to get it because Hugo Lloris is not a small man. And unfortunately, he just hit it too hard and it went over the bar. And and it's a real shame. Uh, I feel sorry for Harry Kane, but that's football. It's a different scenario to previous years with Saka and I think it was Sancho and Rashford when they missed penalties because that was a penalty shootout. England still could have won this. I think we had chances to, just unfortunately, as there is the old adage in football, sometimes the best team doesn't win. And I think 
we were definitely on a par with France, but I would say we maybe slightly edged it on the night and probably should have won, could have won, but sadly we didn't. That's football. What France have got that England lack is a winning mentality because they've won stuff before. So they know that sometimes it's not about the performance. It's about getting that result. You do whatever's necessary to get that result. And that's what you get. So I think overall, England should be very proud of their performance at this tournament. I think Gareth, I've seen, I think we've seen an evolution, not only from the England team, but also from Gareth Southgate as a manager. There were various other things. I think I've pointed out on this podcast previously, for example, when we were being pressed by the USA because they were really energetic and we weren't passing the ball fast enough, we couldn't get a result there. And I think the Senegal game showed that when we weren't passing the ball quick enough and they were pressing high, Gareth Southgate learned from the USA game and then went long to Harry Kane from goal kicks to break the press and then start building play up again. So again, I think Gareth Southgate has learned. I think he has evolved as a manager as, and he's shown that in some of his tactical decisions. Again, not every manager is going to get every tactical decision they ever make correct. And it goes back to the substitutions that I was just talking about. So people can criticise him for a substitution, but again, it's a lottery like penalties in much in the same way as you bring a player on and they either do really well or they don't do anything at all it's once you bring them on you can only give them the instructions maybe change the instructions if it's not working as we've seen Southgate do in this tournament and I, I, I give Gareth Southgate credit he's got two years left on his current deal uh, I think he signed a new deal just before the the World Cup itself I know a lot of people are saying that, like, despite the deal, it's time for him to go. He's had three tournaments now. I personally believe that this England side is evolving. I think he started off trying to get some team spirit and some sort of cohesion into it. Then he started with trying to make England hard to to beat. I think a lot of the results in the Euros were like 1-0, not conceding many, maybe scoring from set pieces. And now it's evolved to a side that is starting to play decent football. Uh, in all the England matches that I've watched up until this World Cup, I was like, oh, this is unwatchable. I, the, the football is terrible. In this, the football was actually decent. Sometimes we needed to move it a bit quicker. Sometimes we needed to be a bit more creative. But I'm sure every single team at the World Cup will say, yeah, we at times we could have done this or at times we could have done that. And at the end of the day, there's 32 teams. I think it's 48 next World Cup. But in this one, it's 32 teams trying to win. You know, not everybody is going to win. And unfortunately, on this day, we came up very, very slightly short. You could argue it was the rub of the green. I personally wouldn't argue that it was the manager's fault that we lost against France. I just think we had a little bit of bad luck. France took their chances. Unfortunately... The players on the pitch didn't take this for England. And I think Harry Kane, if you saw how confidently he put away the first penalty, you would bank on him to put the second one away. But unfortunately, sometimes football can be cruel. And this was cruel. So I think Gareth Southgate deserves 
to stay as England manager. I think England are very, very close to winning something. I think there are maybe one or two players or places available in the squad for a slight change. Uh, I think Sterling hasn't really performed in this tournament that much, which is, I think, pretty clear how he was replaced. I think there is... I'm sorry if that came up. Uh, I, I think there's... A, Kieran Trippier is arguably going to be replaced due to his age. Uh, we're going to have the likes of Reese James come back as well. I think the midfield is still up for debate. I think Jude Bellingham was our star of this tournament overall. I think he's really proved himself. I think we've got a future England captain there. And I think we've got two of them in him and Declan Rice. And I think the 4-3-3 is the way forward, which is what Gareth Southgate went with. And I think it worked. I think because of Jordan Henderson being 32 now, for the Euros, he can probably still make the squad provided he performs well. But at the next World Cup, he'll be about 36, so he probably won't be around. So that other slot in the midfield three, I think, is available. My concern is Harry Kane, having a replacement for Harry Kane. The obvious answer would have been Mason Greenwood, but obviously that's not going to happen. Tammy Abraham has had limited opportunities under Gareth Southgate. And that's one thing I would like to see Gareth Southgate improve as a manager still, of getting some players extra time, uh, more experience. And in Tammy Abraham's case, a full 90 minutes. He obviously didn't go to this World Cup because he wasn't in fantastic form for Roma this season thus far compared to last season. And I don't think he's quite impressed Gareth Southgate when he has played for England. But I mean, Callum Wilson was there, but at the end of the day, you're not going to drop Harry Kane for, for Callum Wilson. So I think striker is the big concern for me. I think Harry Kane's, I think he's 30. I think someone can correct me in the comments when they watch this video. I'm just a little bit worried that we're a bit short up front. The rest of the positions, I think we're fine. I think we've got more than enough options. You've got people like Conor Gallagher, James Ward-Prowse in central midfield, Harvey Elliott as well, who's a young up-and-comer. The wide options, we're pretty stocked. Rashford, I'm sure Sterling will find form again once things settle down at Chelsea and he's not being played at wing-back. Saka's been fantastic this tournament. I think he's been England's third best player for, for me. I think England's second best player this tournament, people will probably disagree. I think it's actually been Jordan Henderson. I think this England team changed a lot when Henderson came in and changed the dynamic in that midfield. No team at this World Cup is... uncriticisable. I can't think of the right word. So I think other teams have gone out. But I think Gareth Southgate has earned his right to stay as England manager. And I think the argument is, who are you going to replace him with? If you don't go foreign and you stay with an English manager, the options aren't pretty... They're not stacked. I mean, Sean Dyche is available on a free because he's without a club, but he did a good job at Burnley, but He's unproven with a higher quality of player than he did have at Burnley. Graham Potter's obviously the other one. But is he going to leave Chelsea considering he's only just started? 
who you you could argue that Mauricio Pochettino is available if you go foreign. Do we really want to go foreign? Because the FA seem to have proved that they want to go down a route of creating their own coaches, which is why Sarah, Gareth Southgate sorry, got the job himself. So I think they're trying to, I don't want to say breed their own coaches, but I think I think you know what I'm saying. Breed's not quite the right word, but they want to develop their own coaches. There we go, develop, that's the right word. They want to develop their own coaches from within. The only problem with that is the got to have a lot more English managers available. I can't think of two that are currently in the Premier League apart from Graham Potter and Frank Lampard. Steven Gerrard is probably another name that's been linked, but he didn't set the world on fire at Aston Villa. I think too too much change too fast was ultimately his downfall. So who's going to take it? I don't see that there is a viable option right now or anybody who is going to quit their job to go to England. Maybe that's an issue. I just think maybe personally, in my opinion, a lot of English players who go on to become coaches or become managers, they go from player straight into manager quite quickly. They don't do a lot of the groundwork. So they don't like, for example, at Manchester United, I'll use Mike Phelan as the, as the example. When he retired, he went and he coached the under 18s while he took his coaching licenses. He then went and did a spell as, as like a youth manager with the club and, and basically just went up through the club slowly until he became Alex Ferguson's assistant manager. But I think Steven Gerrard did a year or two at, at Liverpool's Youth Academy and then went straight to Rangers. I don't recall Frank Lampard doing any coaching at all. And someone like John Terry, who was assistant manager at Aston Villa, unless he's been employed somewhere that I'm unaware of, he doesn't have a job at the moment. So where are the, the managers coming from and are they spending enough time coaching, learning their trade before they get decent jobs. I think we saw with Frank Lampard, he went he went in at Derby because he was a big name, did well there. The Chelsea situation blew up. They put him in. He dropped straight back out again after doing reasonably well. And then he's the, uh, he's been very fortunate. He got the Everton job and that's, should we say that he's been indifferent thus far. So for me, I know I'm rambling on and getting very sidetracked here. For me, I don't see any viable alternative that will do potentially any better than what Gareth Southgate's done. My attitude towards Gareth Southgate has changed a lot. I was going from the stance that he wasn't good enough to be England manager, and that's still a very valid stance. However, I've cut him some slack because it's I've come to realise that he's basically learning on the job. He's had, what, one job, I think, before he got involved in the England setup. And sorry, excuse me while I adjust my glasses. Um, it, which was Middlesbrough, as I've talked about on this podcast previously, where he got them relegated and then got fired. He then went on 
to the England under 21s, where I do believe he didn't win anything. And the problem is, is when you, as a manager, when you step into the international scene and Gareth Southgate stepped, stepped into the international scene relatively young, um, you've got a very finite period of time with your players. I would argue that I think Gareth Southgate's been in charge for, I want to say eight years, maybe six. I would uh, it's either six or eight. It's somewhere around there. I mean, well, there's Euro 2018, World Cup 2018, Euro 2020, and the current 2022 World Cup. So you could argue that that's six years minimum. Excuse me. Sorry. And he's that's a very finite time with your team. So I would argue that while he's been employed for six years, if you were to crush it all down into one single calendar year, he's effectively been managing England's senior team for maybe, what, nine months, a year, maybe? So that's not a lot of time. So for me, Gareth Southgate is still learning on the job and he's having to learn at a very slow rate compared to somebody who's in club management who would learn at an accelerated rate because they are having a match every three days, say, what? Yeah, say they play normally on a Wednesday and say a Saturday or Sunday, so every three to four days. So it's much easier to learn, much easier to react, whereas Southgate's playing a game arguably once every three to four months. So it's such a massive learning curve. That's why I've changed my opinion. I think Gareth Southgate's learning on the job, and I think as long as we're still seeing him learning and improving, and I think England have improved in this tournament, not in terms of where we finished, which is ultimately what people are going to look at and criticise on, but in terms of the style of football we played was much more attractive, much more effective. We scored more, more goals, I think, than anybody else. I think we scored 14 goals and conceded four. I think we were one of the top scorers before we were obviously eliminated. So people won't agree with me. I think England done very well. I think they can be proud of what they've achieved at this World Cup. I think we were unlucky against France. And I think Gareth Southgate deserves to stay in until the next Euros when his contract expires. I think give him the next Euros. And if he doesn't win the next Euros, then I think you say, right, well, you've developed this team as far as you can go. You've had four tournaments, arguably eight years. It's time to go. On to the other quarterfinal and Portugal come out of this one uh, and go home because Morocco, this Morocco side, not I don't remember many people calling this, but this Morocco side are very, very well organised, very defensively solid, very hard to beat. And they've got some genuine talent in there. And this lad, N. Nasri, I'm going to say, apologise if that's butchered. Um, his header for this goal, I don't think I've seen anyone reach that height before. Literally, his, he was above the goalkeeper's fully stretched up arms when he headed the ball. I was genuinely really surprised. But they do have some real good talent. Uh, some that we've seen in this country, their names have gone from my head, unfortunately. Let's see if they're mentioned in this article uh, on the BBC. Um, but attacking talent, they've got good technicians. So... They've been very much the shock 
of, of this World Cup for me. I picked uh, Serbia as my, uh, here we go. I, I picked Serbia as my dark horses and unfortunately they just couldn't defend. But Morocco have done the opposite and they've counterattacked really well. Amrabat, a very good player. Ziyech at Chelsea, a very good technician. Uh, Buffal, I believe, was either at West Ham or Southampton, maybe both. Don't quote me on that. Hakimi, obviously, at PSG, we know all about as well. Uh, their goalkeeper, Bono, has proved to be a very good goalkeeper, very underrated. And you've got to give them every credit in the world. You cannot argue that they didn't deserve to be there, or they don't deserve to be there, because they do. They've been rock solid. They've counterattacked very well. They've played some really nice football as well. Watching them against Spain, I thought Spain would have, would have had them easily. But watching them against Spain, I thought Spain really struggled to cope with them. I genuinely did. Portugal, there's so much talent in that squad. It's very hard to see why they didn't progress. I'm, again, that's no discredit to Morocco. I thought Morocco were fantastic. But Portugal were. It, it's very difficult to know what to make of Portugal because it seemed like nobody fancied them and they were creeping up slowly and everything was about Ronaldo. And of course, Ronaldo made this about Ronaldo again. I'll get into that into a, in a second. But there's so much talent in this Portugal squad and they were just creeping up slowly. Nobody fancied them. They were getting really good results and everyone was like, well, should we talk? Should we be talking about Portugal because they are doing this, that, and the other? And unfortunately, they just come across a team that are in really good form right now, really disciplined, so much self belief. You've got to give full credit to them. I'm sure this Portugal team will have a better chance at the next Euros. There's so much talent, and I also think the removal of Ronaldo will be benefit to them. We spoke on the previous podcast about his replacement, Ramos, scoring a hat-trick. Unfortunately, he didn't have as good a game. And Ronaldo did come on in this game. But I can't see Ronaldo going to the next Euros. He's almost 38 now. He's without a club currently. I think this will be the end of Ronaldo. Excuse me, I do apologise. I genuinely believe that if... Portugal have won this tournament. I think Ronaldo's plan was to retire as a world champion, not find another club following his release from Manchester United and go on his way. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still going to do that. I think he's struggling to find a club. The only club that I've heard that has concrete, solid interest in him is, club, uh, I think there's two clubs in Saudi Arabia, actually, which are offering him obscene money for like two years. I think it's something like 200 million euros a year or something to play so the only my only problem was is Cristiano Ronaldo in this match was supposed to be the captain of the Portugal side and when they lost and the final whistle went Ronaldo being the captain in my opinion is supposed to be the leader set the example and put others before yourself I think you're supposed to go up console your teammates and you can have your moment of, of remorse, of sorrow when you're off the pitch and in the dressing room, you know. But I think his first duty as a captain to be is to be there for his teammates and 
thank the fans for traveling all that way to a country with a lot of restrictions on it and supporting them so well. Unfortunately, Ronaldo didn't do any of that. He just literally walked off the off the pitch, down the tunnel into the dressing room on his own, did not stop, did not console anyone. Even the Moroccans tried to walk up to him to console him. He just blanked them and walked off. Everybody's making statements online, voicing their opinions, saying that Ronaldo deserves fair treatment because he's a human being and... You know, he was emotional. He was upset. Don't judge him for his behavior. I'm sorry, I do. Because I don't think I've ever seen a player, let alone a captain, who, when their team has been knocked out of a major tournament, just got up and left the pitch and been followed by cameras. I personally think that they had the cameras standing by, ready and waiting. I don't know if it was staged. I do believe that it was staged, but... I can't, obviously, that's speculation, but I do believe that he did it yet again to get attention on him and not on Portugal. And I just genuinely believe that Portugal will be better off without Cristiano Ronaldo at this stage. Moving on to the other quarterfinals. Croatia have done it again. I'm not quite sure how. This is by no means the best Croatia team I've seen in my lifetime. But um, this was a very tentative match. And as you can see on your, or you should be able to see on the screen, the, um, the goals weren't scored until extra time. Uh, Neymar with the breakthrough and then Petkovic with the equaliser. And then Croatia won it again on penalties. Um, <laughs> Croatia, I've said before, I'll say again, they're very well organised, technically gifted. But they're not a fantastic side. I've seen much better Croatia sides. The sides with uh, Asanovic, uh, Boban, Davos Suka, Robert Jani, Prozaneki. This was a far better side than this Croatia side, even though this Croatia side does have a fantastic midfield in Modric and... Is it Prozovic? And who's the one at Chelsea? Kovacevic, I think. Kovacic. Apologies if my pronunciation is awful. They've got a good midfield, but they've done it again. They've squeaked the result and then won on penalties. So fair play to Croatia for going through. And the other was a fantastic game to watch, but not a fantastic game to play in, I would argue, if you're from the Netherlands. Uh Argentina 2, Netherlands 2, two goals from Valt Vecors to tie everything up after goals from Molina and Messi from the penalty spot. The interesting thing here I found was that Denzel Dumfries of, of the Netherlands was the one sent off when I would argue that there were quite a few Argentine players that probably could have been sent off, at least uh, Paredes, who openly booted the ball at the whole Dutch bench. And there was a lot of behaviour like that. It actually led to the whole Netherlands bench charging onto the pitch to go after him. This was a very ill-tempered game. Uh, the Argentinian players seemed to go out there with a mission to not only score goals, but to... How can I put this politely? To disrupt the Netherlands' play, shall we say, by not necessarily legal means. 
And unfortunately, I'm going to say this. Unfortunately, Argentina went through on penalties. I didn't like the attitude of the Argentinians in this side. I I thought some of their behaviour was very unsportsmanlike, shall we say, and not in keeping with the tone of a World Cup or with football itself in general. And I would have rather have seen the Netherlands go through than Argentina, but Argentina won on penalties. So Argentina it is. Uh, and moving on to the quarterfinals or semifinals, sorry, that was the quarterfinals. Semifinals today is Argentina versus Croatia, which tells you when this podcast is being recorded. I was pretty sure that both semifinals were today. I was wrong. So today is Argentina versus Croatia. Uh, very interesting game because we've seen Croatia grind out results. And it's going to be interesting to see how they cope if Argentina turn up in the same mood that they did against the Netherlands. So I'm expecting this one to go to penalties again. Bearing in mind mine and that man Dan's uh, record of predictions in this World Cup uh, have not been fantastic. I'll probably be proved wrong. Unfortunately, that man Dan couldn't join us today um, due to personal stuff. So condolences to him while he deals with that. And we hope to have him back soon. And tomorrow's... Oh, that didn't switch it over the day. And tomorrow's is France-Morocco. Now, Morocco have been amazing. Uh, I, th I think they've been the surprise of the tournament. I've been, I think they've been absolutely fantastic. But... I think France have got the know-how of how to get around this lot. And uh, Mbappe, I haven't seen too much of him before. But you've got to give credit where credit's due. He's, for me, the the time of Messi and Ronaldo has passed, although Messi's obviously still playing well for Argentina and, Fr and in France for PSG. I think the time is now the next two big ones are Mbappe and Haaland at Manchester City. So it's going to be interesting to see those battle it on. But I predict that France will win this in normal time. I just think that they will have too much for France. And I've got to give credit to Didier Deschamps because his decision to switch uh, Griezmann into central midfield and allow him a sort of, an, sort of a floating playmaker role to go around the pitch wherever he wants has proved a real inspired idea because it showed against England how for a while he was ineffective, but then he popped up with those two assists and especially that cross for the Giroud goal against England that uh, it works and it works very well. So I predict France will go through on, on that one and we will wait and see over the next couple of days. What's, who, who goes through? Uh, this is a much shorter podcast this week, just purely because it's me on my own and I've got, unfortunately, no one to talk topics and bounce ideas back and forth. But um, we will be back with another podcast. It may be our last one before Christmas uh, because Christmas is very fastly approaching and we've got two semifinals and a final. We'll try and do one for the semi-final and I'll have to check the date of the final and then get back. We may do 
but you'll definitely get one more podcast before Christmas, maybe two. But then we will be taking an extended break because it's Christmas and we're going to be spending time with the families and having a lot to eat and a lot to drink. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in to this latest edition of the podcast. Before I forget, I do need to actually give a shout out to our associates at done it again our association our associates with the podcast who are let me get this one up let us talk mental health you can follow them on twitter at let us talk underscore mh the football club raising money for mental health charity mind do go and give them a follow and uh, do buy some of their merch. You can see the link there. And if you're in the Southeast London area, keep an eye out for their games and go and support all money or proceeds. I should say, go to the mental health charity mind and the proper blokes club at blokes club on Twitter and www.thepropablokesclub.co.uk walking and talking, breaking the stigma surrounding men's mental health. It's that time of year where there's a lot of lonely people uh, who have lost loved ones or have are just on their own. And if you need some company and you happen to be a bloke, because this is just about blokes' mental health, I'm, I hope there's women's or mixed options out there as well, but this is just for the blokes. So if you're a bloke, you're lonely this Christmas, go on to their Twitter feed. I think they're on Facebook or go on their website. Talk to them. See if there's a walk near you. Get out there. Don't be alone at this time of year. It's sad and you don't have to be alone at Christmas. There are options. So if you are alone this Christmas, don't be alone. Google some stuff. You might find somewhere for you to uh, have some company for over the Christmas period. So thank you again to everyone who's tuned in. Oh, before I forget, um, I can't pull this one up, but if you've made it this far into the video, thank you very much. There is a young man called Kraken the Box. He's a YouTuber, on obviously on YouTube. He, unfortunately, is a young man who's had two heart operations, and sadly, neither of them have failed. And he is now in palliative care, which, if you don't know what palliative care is, it's basically the point where people become so sick that they've not got long left. So the whole point is to make them comfortable until they sadly pass away. This young man has uh, has a, a couple of last wishes. And one of them was to get a silver play button on YouTube for his YouTube channel. So if you can head over to the Kraken, or is it Kraken the Box? Let me just see if I can uh, pull it up on my phone just to double check it. To make sure I get this right because it's, I think this is important if you've got the time all he wants is subscribes that's what, that's, that's all he wants uh, yeah it's Kraken the Box K-R-A-K-E-N the Box and uh, he's already passed his goal of 100,000 subscribers which means that he gets his silver play button from YouTube um, but as he's not got long left, let's see if we can get him to a million and 
get that get that gold one for him. And as always, subscribe and like to this channel. Follow us over on Twitter at FBallFunders. And you can email us at footballfunderspod at gmail.com, I believe it is. And leave some comments if you've got any questions you want answered or even if you fancy joining us on the show, get in touch. Until then, take care, everyone, and uh, enjoy the semifinals of the World Cup. Yeah.